lovelies, and welcome to another edition of LGBT in the Ring, your rainbow bastion for all things pro wrestling. My name is Brian Bell. I am your host uh, this week and every other week here on LGBT in the Ring. Um, and I am super excited for our guest this week, uh, the recently signed to Major League Wrestling, uh, ring announcer, manager, wrestling renaissance man, uh, Mark Adam Haggerty, stopped by for a awesome conversation that really got to the heart of multiple things, um, including uh, Mark's Re- like coming out story, how it was related to wrestling, um, his show, The Locker Room Detectives, um, the heart underneath that, um, and just overall, like all the awesome experiences that Mark has had in his like, relatively young career. He's only been in the business about three years at this point, but lifelong wrestling fan. Um, we get into some some fun conversation about 1996 WWF in there as well. Uh, a very formative year for both of us, it turned out, uh, in our fandoms. So, um, but yeah, no, it was a it's a fun conversation, and I it, and I hope all of y'all enjoy uh, all, our little chat. Um, before we get there, though, um, it was a Ooh, it was a choppy week in the world of pro wrestling. Um, both, well, maybe not choppy is the right word, because there were good things on uh, either side of the extreme um, this week. Obviously, uh, jo- Jake Atlas and Mercedes Martinez being uh, formally announced as uh, WWE signees uh, was an awesome thing to see. You saw Mercedes make her NXT debut last night. Uh, in the number one contenders battle royal for the women's championship, a really awesome showing. It looks like they're setting up something with her and Shayna Baszler, which, you know, I you can't see it. You can't see all the thumbs I have going up right now for for that for that program, but they're there. Um, and I'm really really interested to see um, what they do with uh, Jake once once he debuts on the show. So that. Huge moment, obviously, and both like were celebrated on their social media. Both like had their own like different journeys there. You know, Mercedes has been in the ring for almost 20 years at this point, uh, a legend already before even making it to WWE. Jake, younger, um, but still a pr- prolific career on the indies um, before heading there, and both are just outstanding at their craft. Um, they're both regarded near the tops of their professions there. And so WWE, they couldn't have signed any two better, uh, more deserving talents at this point. There'll be more coming down the line. Like we get into what, like me and Mark discussed, like there are plenty of awesome, great queer talents in the wrestling world. And they will definitely get their day like Jake and Mercedes have um, at a company around here somewhere, or they carve their own path, like some people have been doing on the indie scene. So, <sighs> just really, it's really inspiring to see just more representation on a national basis. And yeah, it it really dulled the uh, the blows that we had with the, the series of deaths that we had this week. Also, you know, Pampera Furbo. Um, the former LaParka Jr., current LaParka, the second LaParka down in AAA. Um, 
then you know yesterday Rocky Johnson passing away. Uh, it's been a, a rough go this week, but each of those performers left behind a, a lengthy legacy um, in different ways uh, on the world of pro wrestling. And uh, of course, they will they will all be missed, and, and it's an inevitability. We all we all get there at some point, but you know, it's a shame, and they will be definitely be missed. I just got to keep building on that foundation that they that they paved out. And we're on a really awesome way to doing it. <laughs> well, so many people um, in the wrestling world, including uh, one Mark Adam Haggerty. So um, let's get to that conversation right now. All right, everybody. Welcome back to LGBT in the Ring. This is the part of the show where I normally welcome um, all of the fans and listeners of all the different genders um, that listen into the show. But I feel like I, I'm, I can say it, but honestly, having the person on the show that really brought that phrase to my attention, guys, gals, and non-binary pals, I feel like <laughs> it's... I don't know. It, it, I am glad to be able to say it, but I'm also glad to be able to speak with the person who put that into my head, as well as many other awesome uh, pro wrestling um, things, I guess, for lack of a better term right now. Um, he is one of the locker room detectives over on independentwrestling.tv. He is ring announcer extraordinaire for, at this point, 70-plus promotions across North America and the UK. And most importantly, he is now the voice of Major League Wrestling every Saturday, um, MLW Fusion on BN Sports. Please welcome to the show, Mark Adam Haggerty. How are you doing today, Mark? Well, I'm doing great. Thank you for, uh, I think you covered everything there in that introduction. That was very kind of you. I'm great. Thank you for having me on. No, it's awesome. I mean, there's a lot to cover with you. Like you are very, very entrenched, and always have something going on in the world of pro wrestling. So it's it's really awesome to have have you on the show. Well, um, that's always that's always been my mantra: is uh, if you spend a single day not working toward your career in some capacity, then you're wasting time. And uh, you know, that's just uh, the result of that. Is as you said, a lot of different random projects that I do. <laughs> a lot of random projects, but all very engrossing in their own ways. You know, like I know um, for me personally, I locker room detectives is something that really stands out to me just because like I come from a bit of a, a filmmaking background and like just every time I watch an episode of that show, it just gives me this this feeling of like going out just amongst the town or whatever with your friends and trying to come up with a, some kind of goofy idea to kind of put together some kind of like makeshift storyline, but just to have fun with, with the people that you're around and the people that you love to spend time with. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what that is. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, Chris Levin is uh, for all intents and purposes, my best friend. Uh, in wrestling, out of wrestling, uh, I really don't have any friends outside of wrestling, to be honest. But uh, he, he and I, you know, we came up with that because, you know, we make so many stupid little videos on Instagram and everything anyway. 
And one day we were just talking and, and I remember it came up and um, he he was like, what would you think about doing like uh, a video together? You know, we're both like, you know, you know, these uh, adorable ancillary characters in wrestling that don't wrestle. Like, what, what, what would you think? So we came up with this and originally it was supposed to be like, what happens if someone loses their knee pad or like, you know, like wrestling related things. But then, like, very quickly, in fact, in episode one, it was about, like, Bigfoot and then aliens. And uh, it just kind of went off the rails really quick, but I think that's what's fun about it. Um, I just finished editing the penultimate episode of the season, which, um, you know, spoiler alert, will feature the debut of the Locker Chicks, uh, oh. who are our our female counterparts and who are going to play a major role in season two, which is going to be debuting around WrestleMania time. But uh, locker room detectives, I tell people all the time, you know, Chris and I, him as a referee, me as a ring announcer, we don't often get a chance to showcase our personalities. I have to often, you know, just like following content schedule for one fall, that kind of stuff. And he's very right down the middle, you know, one, two, three, you know, we, we really can't be characters all the time. So, this gives us a chance to do that. And, you know, doing this like Scooby-Doo, James Bondy, get smart uh, sitcom that we do, it lets us play different kinds of characters all the time. And that's really fun for me personally. No, and it definitely shines through in the end product as well. Um, and, and you know, a lot of the show is is like goofs and just finding different little things to kind of um, show some humor um, was a lot of the, the kind of over the top characters that you are surrounded by um, in wrestling locker rooms as a whole. But one of the things that I really like about the show is that it also presents a sort of um, an avenue to express like sort of not necessarily like morals, but more so like different, um, I guess different interpretations of um, like social constructs in some ways that, that we've seen start of start to rise. You know, I point to the episode where you, you and Chris go on this uh, search to seek out advice to help Chris become a man. And of course that leads to like all of the normal spots you would go to Nick fucking gauge um, the Scott, Scott Steiner. Yeah. I mean the, the logical conclusions there. Um, but the the ending message in that in that episode of just like it's like all of these different constructs that have defined masculinity for so long, like those aren't what make a man. It's a matter of whether you like identify and how you define yourself. Like that that really touched me, and I think that ha- having that message wrapped in this very like some sometimes crass but ultimately just fun bubble, like it. It made uh, it made that pill a little bit easier to swallow. I think for people that resist that sort of mentality. Wow, I really appreciate you saying that. Um, you know, uh, the fact that people can interpret what we're doing in that kind of a meaningful way—it, uh, <laughs> like, I'll be honest—it makes me uh, even more excited to uh, continue forth doing this stuff. Um, and you know, in that that episode is without a doubt our most popular episode we've ever done for anyone listening it's free on my youtube channel the first six episodes are free that's episode five so um it's our most popular episode we've ever done probably because like scott steiner (laughs) gets vulgar things but like it was pretty awesome honestly um and yeah what you were talking about those words like and 
for us, like we, we, we sought out Lucas Calhoun to deliver that, that speech at the end about like, you know, how being a man isn't any one certain thing. And it's because Lucas is, you know, he's like an elementary school teacher in his real life. He is uh, just uh, an unbelievable guy. And we, we thought that he kind of embodied what that message, uh, you know, really meant. So I'm really glad that, you know, that what we're doing can, you know, do, can reach people beyond just laughter. That's really cool to me. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, that episode really stood out to me, obviously, but, you know, going back to like some of the more like ridiculous stuff in the show. Um, and honestly, even, even the most ridiculous, one of the more ridiculous things that I want to talk to you about before we move off of Locker Dicks um, was the, uh, the New Year's Eve episode. Uh, oh, where no. y'all streamed for two straight, almost two straight hours from your house, <laughs> where you had, like, yeah, yeah. So like, like, obviously there was just a lot of antics there: beer pong, thumb wrestling, matches, people getting thrown through doors, like all all kinds of ridiculous stuff going on there. But I felt like keeping with this kind of like quote unquote like morality uh, of, of exposed in the episode, like. Just seeing how things ended with um, with Crawdad and Hermit Crab, where they're like, "Well, they just wanted to have fun, even if like inside of the locker room where you quote unquote have jurisdiction." <laughs> um, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they they would not necessarily be, um, I guess, not as it's not welcome, but more so like they're the more nefarious types. But like even in this this circumstance where we're just all celebrating the end of the beginning of a new year, like they can be included as well. Yeah, you know, so that that party that we did, um, it's a miracle that it went off as well as it did. Uh, I think more people have probably seen the edited down, like, 17-minute version that takes out a lot of what you're talking about there. Um, you know, the storyline with Crawdad and Molly and Boomer and all that kind of stuff was only in the two-hour live stream, which, again, is available on my YouTube channel right now. Um, yeah, you know, so... We wanted to – well, our thing is we just wanted to have a, a New Year's party, and that was, like, the first thing. And I was designated the one to have the Jakar New Year's party because I was the one with, like, the biggest place, and I live alone. So uh, everyone decided – like, you know, we decided we are going to have the party, and then Chris and I were like, let's do a locker room detective thing at it. And then it kind of snowballed into, like, let's have matches in your home. And I was like, I guess. And, you know, they b broke a door off, <laughs> off the hinges <laughs> um, and then brought it into the kitchen and went through it. Like, it was rough. But t to the point of, like, you know, everyone being included and everything, I, when I was talking to people about what I wanted this to be, I remember in the old WWF magazines, there would be, like, like around Christmas time, there would be these, uh, like, a full, like, page spread, like a cartoon of like all the wrestlers, good guys, bad guys, and they'd be like, you know, trimming the tree and like bringing in like, you know, hanging stockings. And it would be just this like silly, like Bret Hart and Goldust and Vader and Ahmed Johnson. Like they're all like getting along Christmas. And I kind of wanted that kind of vibe. And, you know, it was, it was uh, almost probably half the Chikara roster was there. Um, we, wow, we were so, so sad Mike Quackenbush did not come. Um, but, uh, it was just like, you know, like all, like most of my best friends were there and it was a, a really good time. And, you know, to your point, you know, uh, it, it was like this feel good, like, yeah, everyone's, everyone's welcome. 
Um, but like, don't get too hung up on that because the season finale is coming, and Hermit Crab is the bad guy. Oh yeah, <laughs> I think that's been he clearly our, established. He's our arch nemesis, duh. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, but for, it's nice to see that for one night, those differences can be put aside for something of like course. where everybody can have fun with it, you know. And speaking of those uh, old WWF magazines, that's actually the kind of the next route I wanted to take with you because obviously, like you're now flourishing with with MLW with countless other promotions. I know you're going to be at Primetime Pro Wrestling this weekend, which is you know Lolo and Billy and Gator, all friends of the show, love them to death. Um, mm-hmm. But I, where did this? Where did your love of wrestling like germinate from? Where did it start from? Um, you know, uh, well, that's uh, man, it, it's tough because I'm one of those people, and I say one of those people because I think it's very common where we all go through phases of like I love wrestling and I don't, it's not cool anymore, and then I I love it again because I'm an adult and who cares? So. Uh, originally as a child, I I always tell people like on my long car rides when we, we talk about this, um, I grew up, I had a bunch of like, you know, Disney, uh, VHS tapes and they all came in these like fat, like, like big puffy boxes for some reason. They were bigger than regular VHS tapes. I don't know why. So they came in these big boxes and I watched all my Disney tapes because I was like five, six years old, of course. Also on the shelf were these other big puffy boxes, also unlike all of the VHSs. They were black, though, and I was like, what are those? Are those, like, evil Disney movies? (laughs) I don't know what I thought as a child. I don't know what I thought. Like, is that Disney porn? Like, I don't know. But I I was, like, playing with my my X-Men or whatever I was at the time, um, and I I put this VHS in, and it was, like, WrestleMania three. And the other, however many there were on the shelf, were like WrestleManias one through five. And I watched these tapes religiously because to me, like I'm playing with these superhero action figures and I'm I'm like looking at comics because I couldn't read yet. But like I'm watching like all the Saturday morning cartoons and these are like live action, like superheroes and supervillains on my TV. And it was so cool. And I just lived on those first five WrestleManias for like four years, I want to say, because my parents, I think they still were like, you're a little young for that, you know, but around 1993, my parents were just like, you know what, if you like it, fuck it, like, let's do it. Like, they ordered WrestleMania 9 on uh, pay-per-view, which was the one from Caesars Palace, and that's my earliest real memory of wrestling. And I have, uh, to this day, on the fanny pack I wear everywhere, I have the WrestleMania 9 button that we got when my parents sent in the cable bill. Oh, wow. So uh, I, I actually, I was I was on a show with Tatanka recently, and I, I summoned the courage to tell him. I was like, you know, you were in the first match on the first pay-per-view I ever watched. And he, like, he didn't know how to react to that. And I'm, I, I, I told the Shining Wizards on their podcast the other day, like, I said something, like, really stupid. Like, yeah, it was you against Shawn Michaels. Shawn's my favorite ever. <laughs> you wrestled you. Uh, like, just, like, something so dumb. Um, but, yeah, I, I just was a fan back then. Um, I continued on. My, my favorite years in wrestling are probably, like, 96 and 97. 
And then around like 2001, 2002, around the time I was getting into high school, uh, it just wasn't, you know, it wasn't the cool thing anymore. And, and it really wasn't, it, it had nothing to do with like uh, what people thought. I've never really, well, I shouldn't say that. I came out of the closet at 30. I care what people think. What am I buying to myself <laughs> for? But um but I didn't care what people thought in that regard. It wasn't like, oh, you know, wrestling's stupid. I've been dealing with that, like, since I was a little kid. It was just like, to me, I, I kind of just lost interest in it. You know, with WCW gone and WWE being the only thing, I was just like, eh, it's not as cool as I always dreamt it would be. <laughs> so um, so I, I kind of fell out of it. And then I went to college and... I was in college in 2005, I mean, for other years too, I mean, but that was one of the years I was there. Uh, I was in college in 2005, and that was the year that Raw returned to USA, and they did the USA Homecoming, which was a huge show with like Hulk Hogan and Steve Austin, and I remember everyone in my dorm watched this, and it was this like really cool, like, I was like, oh wow, like everyone's a wrestling fan, like all these cool dudes. Like, I came from a world where, like, I mean, I was this, like, closeted queer kid that liked wrestling, and, like, all my other wrestling friends were all nerds, and now I'm in college, and, like, all the cool football players and baseball players, and, like, all them love wrestling, and I'm like, oh, wow, maybe it's cool again, and I watched it, like, I remember everyone on the floor in the dorm was watching it with, like, the doors open, like, everyone was cheering for the same stuff, like, chanting, it was wild, and from then on, I was just kind of back into it. And, you know, my love for wrestling has just kind of evolved from there. And But that's that's where it all came from. Mm. It's interesting. Like, 96, I feel, was a very formative year for people that were watching wrestling, like, during the 90s, I think. Like, I know for me, myself, like, that was really the first year that I got sucked into it. Um, you know, WrestleMania 12 was my first pay-per-view that I ever ordered. And... Um, like top to bottom, like I still hold that event in such high regard, you know, like for the longest time, the, the Ironman match was my favorite match. And, and I think everybody goes through like those lulls, you know, like I, I had that around like 2003, 2004. I think that's just natural in a lot of ways. Speaking specifically to that experience that you had in your dorm though, that is very interesting considering like how we've seen sort of the, the ferventness of fan bases evolve over over time since then is like right at where we're at right now until like maybe midway through 2019 i couldn't have imagined an entire dorm room kind of getting together and watching a wrestling event for like a number of years ahead of that considering like how much the excitement kind of dropped off once wwe lost that that competitive edge once they lost somebody to, to battle against in wcw yeah. so like that's interesting to hear honestly that 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 you had an entire like dorm kind of come together for for that experience in 2005 yeah it was um i mean i don't even uh, maybe they just didn't get tnn or something i don't really remember <laughs> <laughs> but uh but no it was it was formative in my wrestling uh uh, fandom, I, I would say. Yeah. I mean, there's really no better way of pulling yourself back into something that you love to kind of see other people latch onto it, especially like, like you said, like kind of being somewhat 
well, maybe not somewhat, definitely like like closeted, and and experiencing this world that you know we've heard we've all heard the, the classification before. Like wrestling is this hyper masculine sort of thing that hasn't really been very kind to the, the queer community over the, over a large span of it, you know. So like I think that kind of seeing this this kind of more diverse community of like personality types and 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 people come together to watch it like that speaks to the kind of the the ability to organize community that pro wrestling brings well and you know that's the thing about pro wrestling in general too and you know someone asked me recently i was on a another podcast a few months ago and someone asked me if i thought that pro wrestling uh was getting more progressive and i instantly said no and uh i i didn't leave i i, I should have just kept talking because i feel like they could easily take that soundbite out of context but um i said no i don't think professional wrestling is getting more progressive i i think that the world around us is getting more progressive because i look at pro wrestling and if you really look at it you know yeah you know you're right in a certain regard in how uh, the industry has treated queer performers and performers of color and all sorts of different people throughout the history. But, you know, those are also pockets of the industry. And that happens in pockets of different industry throughout the history of our country. Our, our country has a pretty dark history in general. And as far as wrestling goes, if you look throughout the history of the sport from the 50s and the 60s and the 70s, wrestling was integrated racially long before major other sports were. You had these uh, African-American performers in different, uh, primarily Caucasian parts of the country acting as superstars and role models. And that's just something that you wouldn't have seen in any other uh, form of entertainment at that time, in, especially in like the 60s and the 70s. And as far as queer performers, you know, the thing with that is you can very easily list off all of the ones that we all know, like Pat Patterson and Jim Barnett and the Grand Wizard. The thing about those folks is the people in the industry, for the most part, knew who they were. They knew what they were about. They knew their partners, for the most part, and they accepted them. They were still part of the industry. Now, were they put on screen as, you know, gay or queer performers? No, they weren't, because our country... Was not progressive enough at that point, and now you see people like Jake Atlas signed to NXT. You see Sonny Kiss on AEW. You see me on MLW, and that is because the country at large, the world at large, is getting more accepting. You know, we've always been part of professional wrestling. It's just that for our own safety, our friends, our brothers in pro wrestling have had to keep us in the shadows uh, to protect us. But you know, the world is changing. And I will, I will go to my grave telling people that I think professional wrestling is one of the most progressive sports and businesses in the world in certain regards. Uh, I think it's a beautiful thing. And if it wasn't for pro wrestling, I never would have come out of the closet in the first place. So, um, you know, I, 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 you know, that, that's a hill that I will gladly die on. <laughs> no, I mean, I completely agree with you. Like the, the industry itself like from like the, a behind the scenes standpoint, definitely has been uh, more progressive in certain areas of it in certain places. But it's weird to like kind of like marry that along with some of the like the characters that we've seen portrayed as like kind of playing off of like gay panic stuff and that sort of thing. Like that, that's more so where I figured like the, some of the criticisms that I have of like the and of I will, but past. I, I, I will also say to that, um, over the past 
I mean, the better part of the last 60 years, we've had one guy, one family, basically, like, dictate the course of the entire industry. And, you know, that guy is not the most progressive individual in the world, as I think we all know. I to, to, to give him credit, I truly think he tries. I truly think he tries. It's just that when you hear these stories about like, oh, I just saw Rush Hour Two, it's like, what? It's 2020, dude. Uh, you know, there's a fourth one. Never mind. Um, yeah. But like, but and, but but my point is like, you know, I the industry as a whole. Um, you know, because you, you see, like, when things like Billy and Chuck and all that stuff happens, which, you know, we could talk about for hours. I actually don't have, an issue, like, too many issues with that, honestly. Uh, but, like, you could see things, like, where um, things are exploited, uh, like the, the most recent uh, lesbian debacle on Raw during the, uh, the wedding that I didn't see. I just heard about. Yeah. Um, like, you see, the majority of the industry is, <laughs> comes out against things like that from, like, Ring of Honor and Impact and AEW and MLW and even the NWA where they don't have a squeaky clean record right now. Um, you know, like, uh, I would say, you know, the industry as a whole, like, what, yeah, you're, you're right. Like, there's a lot of, like, questionable things that have happened on screen in wrestling. But again, I will remind everyone that most of those things are out of the brain of one sadistic human being. <laughs> I can say that. I don't work for him. Oh, no. Like, you can say whatever you want. Like, you're fine. Like, I'm not going to disagree <laughs> with you. We have a very similar viewpoint of that one man. So, like, and and yes, you are right. Like, having one person kind of drive the industry for as long as he has, like, it definitely can make that one company kind of become synonymous with the industry. But no, to have like one man control so much of the industry and push the industry, the, the perception of the industry as much as he has in one direction, it kind of, it does disguise all of the other companies that don't subscribe to that so that that mindset. And I think that that's one of the beautiful things about the 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 recent rise of the independent scenes, um, like over the past like five to ten years, like this kind of like rebirth of the indies um, is really pushing those those narratives in in the opposite direction of what um, WWE has been doing, whether they're, they're uh, they mean their means are genuine or not. Um, so like in that instance, yes. Like I think that we're on the, we're on the same page in the, in that way. And, and honestly, it's one of the things that I've really enjoyed watching as, as pro wrestling has grown more and more is this kind of see more companies like putting that, that attitude on the forefront as opposed to just, you know, having something behind the scenes with it as well. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I did find it interesting, though, you mentioning that without wrestling, you would never, you wouldn't have come out um, at the, whenever you did. Like, I mean, you said yourself, you came out whenever you were 30. And like, I'm curious, like what exactly within pro wrestling kind of led to you uh, recognizing that within yourself and wanting to kind of put that out there? Um, you know, it, uh, it, I, um, you know, I don't have a Wikipedia article out there. I need to remind myself of that. Uh, <laughs> it, <clears throat> my coming out story is, uh, a rough one for mm-hmm. sure. 
And uh, it was uh, when it happened back in 2018, it was, uh, I, I, uh, to this day, I can gloat and say that it was actually trending on the wrestling section of Twitter for about an hour because a lot of people were uh, flabbergasted at what had happened. Um, so long story short, I, uh, I came out to very, very, very close friends and family. And when I say, I mean like my immediate family, but not even my dad and like, like close friends from high school that I barely even saw. So it didn't matter. I did that maybe about six years ago. And then I got into professional wrestling in 2016. And, you know, you start meeting all these different people. And the first uh, queer person that I met in uh, in wrestling was Sonny Kiss. We worked countless shows together in the Northeast before he ended up getting signed to signed to Lucha Underground and then AEW. Um, Sonny Kiss and uh, Eddie McQueen and all these different people. And you know, I I started to you know get more comfortable with who I was, but I still wasn't ready to let anyone know who I was. Um, because to me, I'm looking at people like Sonny and Eddie, and they're very flamboyant. They're very flashy. You know, they walk into a room. You know who they are immediately. Um, that's not me. And to me, I was really I, – I didn't know if there was a place for someone like me in wrestling. Um, and it sounds silly, and it sounds weird to even say that now, but as I'm sure any, you know – a uh, queer person listening to this now knows like you, you don't think rationally before you come out. So, um, so I ended up meeting a guy by the name, I'm sure everyone knows him at this point, by the name of Killian McMurphy and Killian and I started riding to shows together on a regular basis. And when I first met Killian, I didn't know that he was gay. And then I found out that he was dating Sonny and he had this like, I don't give a fuck attitude on me. I'm a nerd. I play video games. I'm just like, he, he just like, he, he was like a mirror image of me. I mean, much more like muscular with longer hair and <laughs> better facial structure. But like, you know, but, but he gave me this feeling where I was like, yeah, that's how I would do it. That's how I would do it. And then that just kind of turned into, like, I can do that. I can definitely do that. And um, I'm getting another call. I'm ignoring it. Uh, it was my boyfriend. <laughs> don't tell him. Um, <laughs> but uh, but, but um, so, so I, I started to come out to a very small select group of people in wrestling that I felt comfortable with. Um, the first person I ever came out to was my friend Dirtbag Dan. And his attitude about it was just like, he couldn't care less. He was looking for his lighter in his pocket. I told him I was gay. He's like, cool, you have a lighter. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, thanks, man. Like, that's all I wanted. I don't need this, like, oh, I always knew. No, don't say that shit. What? Come on. Don't be that guy. Um, but, like, he he just made me feel great about it. Then I told someone who was my mentor in this business. He is someone that uh, was on TV at the time with one company, and now he's on TV with another company somewhere else. And I'm not going to say who he is because things have passed by, and it is what it is. 
I told him, and his reaction was utter disgust with me. Mm. And he was uh, offended that we would spend so much time on the road together and that we would even share hotels together without me telling him that I was gay. And, like, I can't pretend to know what straight guys think like. <laughs> you know, like, I, I've tried. Well, you know what? No, you know what? I can pretend. And it just didn't work. Um, but <laughs> so, so, like, so his reaction to me made, it just gutted me. And I like was like I slowly like like Homer Simpson into the hedges. I just like went back into the closet, and like I, I had like the Queen of the Dinosaurs, Tara Calloway, and Dirtbag Dan, Eddie McQueen, and this like Ariella Nix, this great support system of people who knew who I had come out to before that happened. And they're telling me they're like, don't worry about it. like fuck him, he's a loser, this and that, you know, he's never gonna get signed to NXT. He did, um, <laughs> uh, but but like. I, I I didn't know what to think at the time, and I was just in a really bad place. And then I'm on Facebook one day, and at this time, I should also say, I was only working at this point for maybe like five or six different promotions all around New York and New Jersey. And I go on Facebook, and one of the bigger promoters that I work for posts that my good friend, Scotty Ceriti, who is one of my very dear friends, says, Scotty Ceriti is going to be ring announcing his next event. And I was like, well, that's weird. I've announced every one of your events. So I text him and I ask him what that's about. And he no sells me. And then I ask him again later in the day. And he tells me, um, Mark, I just can't trust you because you weren't honest with me about who you were. There's no telling what else you're not being honest with me about, et cetera, et cetera. Wow. And I once again was like okay cool my career's over so that happened and i told people like ariella nix now here's the thing ariella nix was his women's champion at the time and ariella nix went to him and said hey i'm not wrestling for you anymore you can take this belt back you do whatever you want with it i'm not wrestling for you ever again you're a piece of shit bye and he got pissed off about this and because ariella basically said like you fired mark because he's gay he went on Facebook and he said, hey, everyone, just so you know, I didn't fire Mark Haggerty because he's gay. I fired him because he's a liar. That's all he said. And innocuous enough. But the thing about that is he has a public Facebook profile and he's friends with a lot of people in my family. He's friends with uh, everyone that I know in the industry. So I was forced in that moment to then go on Facebook and, you know, it's still it's it's posted on my Instagram. It's, it's everywhere. You know, it's, it's still out there. Um, I posted this long thing, just basically like, Hey, uh, I'm gay <laughs> is what it is. I hope you guys don't think any different of me. And, you know, the response I got from that was just uncanny. Um, you know, everyone from like Jessica Havoc to, uh, like Zach Ryder, like, like every, everyone like that I could like imagine reached out like on Twitter or on Facebook or whatever. And they were just like, you know, fuck whoever did that to you. You don't deserve it. You're better for it. And, um, you know, I, I say all the time, like wrestling, like you ask without wrestling, like how would I have not come out? Well, it's twofold. Um, uh, literally I would not have come out because I was forced to come out, but also, <laughs> I was on the verge of doing it and that was because of the confidence that I had gotten from being in this business 
surrounded by so many different people from so many different backgrounds, from different parts of the world, from different different genders. But yeah, I, I you know, pro wrestling uh, changed my life for the better, uh, without a doubt. No, I mean, it definitely sounds that way, even if it was like a fairly rocky path. That really sucks that somebody publicly outed you like that. Like that took well, away that good. power. He's in jail now. He's oh, in okay. jail now. Cool. He stole like a hundred and ninety thousand dollars worth of like money from people because he also ran a t-shirt business, which was just a Ponzi scheme. I see. All right, good thing. Good to know that things come back around. So, <laughs> Lord, uh, well, I one thing that really touched me in that story was to hear um, Ariel and Nick's uh, commitment to you to go to that promoter and basically throw down the gauntlet and just say like, "Yo, I'm done," because you like were discriminatory against my friend like what did it mean to you to have that close that 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 close-knit circle of people within the industry like backing you up in that way to actually like physically go back you up to promoters that were um discriminatory well i mean as far as like those people i just mentioned those specific people uh being the first people that i came out to like tara calloway uh, as far as she goes, she knows that, like, uh, as far as dropkick depression is around, like, you know, I'm Team Terra until the day I die. Like, you know, uh, Dirtbag Dan is a guy that I really don't get to see a lot. But whenever, like, I see that he's on a show and I don't have something, I go out of my way to go to that guy's show. And if even if I'm not put on the show, I go to that show just to be there because he means that much to me. Uh, and it, it's the same thing with, you know, Eddie McQueen, um, you know, Eddie <laughs> with all that Rick Cataldo bullshit, like Eddie kind of got pulled into it and I went out of my way with anyone and I was like, no, yo, don't associate them together just because Eddie used to work a matter of pride. Eddie is his own fucking person. Eddie's the former magic champion. All right. He's a good dude. Um, but as far as Ariella Nix goes, um, she is to this day, one of my best friends, uh, you know, you mentioned Primetime before. I'm her manager at Primetime. We're part of a faction together that's represented from Washington, D.C. up through New England. Uh, so, you know, the fact that Ariella and I not only get to perform on the same shows, but we get to perform together uh, is a really big deal for me. Mm. No, that's, that's really awesome to hear, like to see that that friendship kind of get be able to be put in front of the fans as well. Like, even if, from what I understand, like you're a, y'all are pretty much kind of a heel stable in prime time. No, I'm a bad guy. I'm a dickhead. Yeah, dude. exactly. But still like, even just be able I'm, to perform. I'm, I'm like, <laughs> I go in there and I make fun of like, this is to your audience. This isn't going to sound heelish at all, but I go in there and I make fun of straight people and about how all they can do to like, you know, get themselves over is make babies. And it's just like, it's a whole rip. <laughs> Basically, like, my boyfriend and I talk about this all the time, where, like, I'm Professor X, I think we should live amongst them and get along with them, where he's Magneto, he hates straight people. I basically play my boyfriend at this promotion, but I do it in my Mike Quackenbush voice. Um, So, yeah, primetime's a trip. You guys can watch primetime on independent wrestling TV. It is dope. I love it. Yes, I highly suggest anyone that is interested, check them out. You know, it's interesting that that your your character in primetime does take on that sort of like um like rail against the straights mindset. I think that's something that is you know, it's very pr- 
not to say very prevalent, but definitely prevalent within the queer community in some way. And I say so more, I, from what I've seen, it's more so like a humorous thing. Like I know one of my favorite subreddits for both me and my partner to follow um, is the Are the Straits Okay subreddit. Yeah. Because like, it's like there's just a certain humor in seeing like these sort of idiosyncrasies and like stereotypes that are played up for humor within within that community that just on whenever you take a step back and look at them it's like there's some super problematic things going on here like why does everyone that's why are all heterosexual marriages like like set up as this sort of thing where like the husband just hates the ball and chain and blah 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 it's like so seeing that come oh, out in sitcoms Oh yeah, sitcoms. That's why. <laughs> yeah, totally. Because of the honeymooners, it's Ralph oh, Cranston's fault. Jesus Christ, the honeymooners. God, it's hard. Sometimes you forget just how deeply ingrained some of this stuff is <laughs> into society. Yeah. Um, but no, I think it's super interesting to see a, a character like play that up in, in in a heelish way, and that's one of the reasons why I, I like watching you and Ariella in primetime specifically. Well, my it's just. Yeah, my my character um, there, it was established, as I said, in, in New England. The group that we have, it's called the Fun Boys, which is fun because Ariel is a girl. Um, but uh, we're the Fun Boys, and it originally started with a group of boys, of guys, up at a company in uh, New England called TIW in Massachusetts, which ran in a shopping mall in like an old Navy that used to be an old Navy, but then it became there. It was so cool. <laughs> um, so we started up there and everything. And my whole thing has like, was always, um, because, and th this is no shade against the people at TIW because the people at TIW are inclusive and accepting and beautiful. And I love them and spoiler, cause none of them are ever going to listen to this. No offense. They just don't know what podcasts are. Um, <laughs> they, uh, they, uh, I'm actually going to be returning there there soon. And, uh, I'm really looking forward to it. But certain parts of, I don't even want to say certain parts of New England, but certain parts of this country are pretty backwards. And, um, you know, I, I, I've been used to, uh, you know, heckles and, and, and things from fans and everything. So I kind of played into that with this character where I, I showed up. And when I started the character, I was just announced as the announcer for Chikara. So I showed up and it was basically like, yeah, I'm gay, I'm loud, and I'm proud, and guess what? I'm more successful than all of you breeders. And it's just like, it was just a whole lot of like, I've got disposable income, blah, 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 et cetera. And it's just like, you know, talking about, like all the talking points about why we're better. And then, <laughs> and then um, it, it moved down south. I did it in New York at a couple promotions. I brought it to Wrestler's Laboratory. Um, and then down in primetime, Ariella and I kind of evolved into this other thing where now like Ariella and I, um, it's this sort of like raging against like all this gendered people. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it, it's interesting and it's fun. And, um, there is part of me in the back of my mind that worries. This is just me speaking the truth. I am worried in, in, to a certain degree. Uh, it's easy for wrestlers to go places and be like super evil and then go work somewhere else and be like, you know, a good guy. But it's tough for me where I'm supposed to be the, uh, the straight man, for lack of a better term, at MLW. And I'm going to a place like this and just saying like, I, like, 
like another spoiler i've got a jacket that says like let's kill all the straights on the back and i like, just don't know how that's gonna play in social media but it's gonna have to um so I, it's fun riding this line i think is all i'm getting at yeah and and obviously like that's taking things to a definite a definite extreme there but there's still like an element of like taking back the the power in, in some ways there that i've seen with a lot of, of of things that the queer community has adopted into like whether it's terminology or attitudes or or you know how they interact with with other communities as well you know speak like you were talking about you know not every place in this country has the same forward thinking as other places do like i'm originally from georgia so like i totally get that like where i grew up like i was the i was the dude like getting like i i i i I don't know how if i want to even say the slur but like like getting called a faggot at the gas station just grabbing a pepsi you know yeah like it's just like it's just one of the things where like you have to like my my response to that was just laughing in the person's face because that's the only like way that i could really internalize that without like feeling super like shitty about the person that i was you know being an openly bisexual person like you never want to have the sort of things thrown your way but like i think being able to kind of internalize that and and turn it against the people that are like throwing those pejoratives out at you that are having these backwards ideas about what our community represents like I think that there's a certain there's a certain pleasure in watching that play out, even to an extreme level, um, on the wrestling stage, just like any other like storyline. I think in pro wrestling. Well, I'll tell you, I am excited to go to primetime this weekend with MLW to brag about. That's definitely going to be a big talking point for me. Um, it's actually it is tough though at primetime. Um, I don't know if this is like a known fact amongst everyone, but like. Primetime is probably, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, uh, along the East Coast, it is the most inclusive, like, uh, LGBTQ flag-waving company uh, that you can think of that's not, like, specifically geared toward that. You know, like, Uncanny Attractions, uh, where I also work, they're more of, like, they're like, oh, yeah, we're a queer wrestling company. Whereas Primetime, they just embrace everyone. And... The fact that they do that means that their fans embrace everyone. So for me to go out there and be like, yeah, fuck you straight people. Like there's a lot of people in the crowd that are like, yeah, tell them. And I'm just like, oh, come on, play along. (laughs) Well, that's the beauty of like bringing new fans into, into wrestling in that way. Like, yeah, they might, they might like side with you eventually, but that just kind of like, or initially actually. And, but yeah, yeah. Eventually, but like I usually end up like managing Ariella. I end up like choking a woman or something at the end of the night. So they all hate me eventually. Exactly. There's always a way to turn them. There's always a way to get them yeah. to start playing along. Yeah. Speaking about MLW though, like obviously that'll be a fun talking point for you um, out there with Ariella this weekend. But MLW specifically, like that is a super huge thing uh, for you and for like, in some ways, queer wrestling as a whole, I think you're the first um, out gay ring announcer ever for a televised major promotion in the U.S. And that, that's most, I mean, that's a huge accomplishment from where I'm standing. How did that make you feel whenever you got that, that 
call from MLW and Corbauer? So as far as being the first uh, openly gay, I mean, it's a lot of caveats and asterisks, isn't there, of course, first openly gay in America, on TV, Um, like things like that. But like that in itself, I was pretty stoked about like before I even signed, um, because I did the show in New York before I signed a contract and just being there and being on TV was a big deal for me. Um, so that was amazing. And, you know, for, for them to, uh, for them to offer me a contract, dude, like it, it, it was surreal. I, I always tell people like, I, man, I got into this business because another ring announcer couldn't make a show. And like, you hear that all the time. That's how Eric Bischoff got into it. And, um, like another ring announcer couldn't make a show. And I was the only one that people could think about. Cause I pot, I did podcasting and they were like, Oh, Mark, we know you can talk into a microphone, get in there. And that's to me being in the ring in front of like 13 people where I was at that show, uh, being able to touch the ropes and like bounce around in the like that was enough for me. And I never thought like, I saw all these other people around me, like getting signed. And I was like, man, it's cool that I know people getting signed or man, it's cool that I'm on shows with like Tony Atlas and like all these old WWE guys. I never thought I would get signed. And when I got that email from MSL, uh, who is Court Bauer's right-hand man, he runs the company along with Court. When I got that email saying that we want to bring you in on a full-time basis. We want to fly you to Dallas and Chicago and everywhere that we're going this year. Um, I, like, I, I, I froze in my tracks in that moment, and it, it was something I never expected. I, uh, I had been I – don't, I don't want to oversell it. I had been um, thinking about other avenues to be taking in the business is, I guess, the best way to put it. And when they made me an offer right there on the spot, like everything else that I was considering just like went out of my mind because MLW to me, you know, they are, it's not just a turn. It's they're a hybrid wrestling company. They offer a little bit of everything. The show we just did in Dallas had some MMA style matches. There were, uh, you know, obviously there were tag team Lucha. The main event was a no rope barbed wire match. And, you know, you've got me there. You've got Alicia Tout there. You've got AJ Kirsch and Rich Bikini. You've got Conan in the back. You've got Savio Vega in the back. You've got Loki. It's just to be a part of that team. Um, when they offered me that contract, I didn't think twice about it. I, I, I told them, I was like, yeah, I want to be a part of this team. Because um, not only are you a huge wrestling company giving me a chance, but, you know, you make me feel welcome. You make me feel at home. And uh, and that's the most important thing for me. Uh, so it, it means a lot to be there. And, and as far as, you know, I feel I feel really good about representing the um, the community in, in this regard. Someone said to me, they're like, Mark, you know, you're probably the only – uh, gay or queer person on wrestling television every week because you know Sonny's not on AEW. Sonny doesn't have a match every week, um, you know. Uh, and whereas I'm ring announcing every week, and to me that's like that's pretty huge to be the only one that people can see every single week. Um, I have read some pretty nasty comments uh, about my signing, and not so much like you know that there's 
you don't get like what you'd expect. I expected a whole bunch of like, you know, Westboro Baptist Church style stuff where it's like, oh, this business is going to hell. Like none of that. <laughs> yeah. But, like I saw like I saw some like people that were like, oh, it's a shame that the MLW signed this guy just to stay woke or whatever. And it's like, I don't know, things like that. Like I'd be like it. You want to, and I, I hope I get better with this, the more of a public figure I become, but like, you know, I, I those things hurt and like, it's, it's really hard to get around things like that. Um, when I read something like that from like someone, I don't even know from like a fan with like five followers on Twitter. When, when I read something like that, it throws me off for the whole day. And I hate to admit that because that's giving people power knowing that, but, but I just have to be truthful. Like I, those kinds of things are just like brutal to read. But on the other side, there is such a supportive community of people and not just like in the LGBTQ community, but like, you know, allies and people that don't even realize they're allies. You know, there's uh, the support I have outweighs that without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, it is a, it's, it's awesome that, that, that support system is still, is still there and continues to grow, you know, for you and for other people within the industry, even for, for fans of the industry that feel like that, that can feel that way. Um, whenever they're, they're criticized like that. Um, and like, obviously that like, we've seen those criticisms like come up no matter like in no matter what industry you're in like you're speaking about like this sort of like taking the distillate the distillation of wrestling and kind of blowing it up into the the country as a whole like we see these arguments in every industry um about like you know woke hires and stuff like that when in actuality like you know you're you're gay but you didn't get hired because you're gay you know, you you got hired because you are like by far one of the best ring announcers on the circuit. Like the same way that you know Jake Atlas. I know um, we had Outsports here. Like we ran into a little bit of an issue with Jake Atlas a while back. Whenever we class, he, he took some umbrage with um, uh, a headline that kind of classified him as a gay wrestler. And like we understand that being gay is not what defines you. It's only a piece of of who you are. And Jake Atlas did not get to where he is because he's a gay wrestler. He got to where he is because he is an outstanding pro wrestler, one of the best in the country. And now he's going to be blowing that up on NXT. So like a lot of these, like are these like woke higher arguments, like, yeah, they definitely can hurt, but hopefully we'll see. I'm hoping we'll see more and more of them subside and, you know, I'll, I'll say um, as far as like, you know, all the articles about me that lead with the headline, you know, gay ring announcer, um, wh when it comes from someone like Outsports uh, or other, you know, queer publications, like that does not bother me in the slightest because I feel like they're, you know, you're, you're, you're reaching out to people that not, might not know exactly who I am. If, if you just say like, you know, ring announcer signed or Mark Haggerty signed, they don't know who I am. They're not wrestling fans. But when like the observer or like wrestling Inc leads with a headline like that, it's just like, it, it doesn't bother me, but I know that it's just asking for trolls to be like, what's the matter with you guys? Why'd they fire Tim Barr? They didn't fire Tim Barr. Tim Barr got a promotion. He's working backstage, guys. Calm down. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. No, like, and, anyway. and I, yeah, like, I think that's, 
those are valid criticisms. Like even for us at Outsports, like I know like that's something that that me personally I've struggled with putting those descriptors in headlines. But you know, in some ways, like that's a like you said, like that's a good way for people to kind of reach out that may not necessarily know who we're talking about, and and yeah. and that way it can even rally more people to the cause and more people to the community. So yeah, yeah, um, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really want to ask you about your experience at Zero Hour this past weekend um, in Dallas. Like you, you hinted at it before, like where like you know MLW is definitely a um, a jack of all trades type company where they have a bunch of different styles um, there. Um, how did that feel whenever you like first like stepped in that ring post contract? Because I know you worked the Opera Cup for them before you were signed, correct? Yeah. Um... My, you know, I'll, I'll say like pre-show nerves were very on par with one another. Um, but I think it was the result of different things. Whereas uh, the the Opera Cup was at the Melrose Ballroom, which is uh, 20 minutes from my boyfriend. Uh, it's like two hours from me. But like, so I had a two, 20, 20 minute commute or whatever um, but it was my first time there and I was working with everyone for the first time. It was my first time doing TV and I was just like freaking out the whole time. Um, this next show, I knew everyone and I was going in feeling much better about it. However, I went in to a, a market that I had never been before. I had never, I had ne- not only had I, I never performed in Dallas, but I'd never even been to Texas before. Um, outside of wrestling, I've been to like, you know, I've, cause I do a lot of road tripping and stuff and like hiking and things. So I've been to a lot of different places that I haven't performed in, but I've never been to Texas for any reason. So it was a brand new place. It was brand new fans. It was also the biggest crowd I've ever worked in front of. It was well over a thousand people. I think up until then, the biggest crowd I worked in front of was maybe four or 500, like trios weekend or something. Um, so, so there were a lot of factors as far as like traveling there and being somewhere new and the big crowd. So, so I was probably just as nervous going into the second show as I was. That being said, going into this next show in Philadelphia, I feel very good because, um, you know, it's basically in my own backyard. And now this is my third show. And the cool thing about Philadelphia and New York and everything is it's all basically the same fans. And these are fans that I perform in front of all the time. There's a lot of Chikara fans that'll be there. So, um, you know, but I, I, you know, MLW is a big deal, as I said. And, um, you know, you strive to get things perfect because it's for TV. If, if the wrestlers in the ring are going to get their stuff perfect, if the commentators and the cameramen are going to get their stuff perfect, the least I can do is get everything perfect. And, um, you know, there's a lot of pressure there. Uh, it's partly pressure that I put on myself, but I think it's necessary pressure to get the job done uh, in the way that I want to get it done and that they need me to get it done. But, um, you know, my experience in Dallas was pretty awesome. I was only there for 14 hours. I flew in <laughs> in the afternoon on Saturday and I left early in the morning on Sunday. But I had Whataburger, which is a big deal there. Oh, yes. Um, I thought it was fine. I don't want to. <laughs> But, I mean, I'm from Southern California, so I'm, I'm an In-N-Out guy. Um, I totally get so it. I, I, thought, I, I thought it was fine. It was big. It was big. I'll give you that. It was definitely big. 
Um, but Dallas is cool, and we're going to be back in Dallas on May 2nd, and I hope I get to spend – I hope I get to get, like, some Dallas barbecue and stuff like that. Um, the cool thing, you know, and this is something interesting to talk about, especially on this show, is, you know, I said, you know, I, I go to – man, I go to, like, West Virginia. I go to Tennessee. I go to different places. And, you know, even – it's not just the South, man. You go to places in, like, Maine, and people are like, what's that rainbow? And it's like, why do you sound like that? Um, people sound like that everywhere. It's crazy. It's wild yeah. how people sound like that everywhere. But like, so so in Texas, given its reputation, um, you know, uh, you know, there was a certain part of me that was a little nervous. I mean, I didn't think I was going to get like you know attacked or anything. But like, you know, I I didn't know how people were going to uh, respond to me. But I was pleasantly surprised. There was a huge queer community of fans there. Um, there was a guy there with his husband that were like huge fans of mine from other stuff that I do. Uh, there was a woman that took a picture with me because I guess she took a picture with the ring announcer back in the 80s. and She wanted to take a picture with me now. And she's like, oh, my husband and I. Or I shouldn't. Let me correct myself. My husband and I love you. We've been there watching we you on Shikara. And I'm like, really? And you know, <laughs> follow me on Twitter. You see the flag. You know, okay, cool. Thanks for coming out. Um, so, like, my experience in Dallas was fantastic. That's really awesome to hear. And also, that's a pretty good southern accent you got going there. Well, my mother's family is from Mississippi. I spent every every single summer in Mississippi. There we go. I knew there was a cheat code in there somewhere. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> no. Well, that's really awesome to hear. It's like, you know, I, I think that I think that MLW is obviously is a huge opportunity for you, but I think that you know, seeing just how quickly you've kind of like started to feel like comfortable there and knowing the kind of presence that you can have and already seeing like you have like you know um queer fans coming out to shows in in dallas like that's really awesome to see like i know like you're just a ring announcer but also like like you said there's a there's a still a certain impact in seeing someone within the community on tv every week and just seeing that from the get-go like that that seems like super empowering well, I, I do think, and this is no like slight against the company. The company is growing and evolving every single day. But I think, I mean, just according to their roster page, I'm pretty sure I'm the only queer person in the company. Um, yeah. Which, you know, can be looked at in a negative way, of course. But I, I would suggest the, the positive way to look at it. And that's like, you know, they're starting with me and, uh, you know, who knows where they go from there. But yeah, you're right. And you know, being the one and being such a focal point throughout the entire show, um, I, I understand the the opportunity that I have, um, especially, as I said, with the way that MLW is growing right now. They just uh, signed a deal with uh, Hollywood agents to get them a new television contract. Um, so, you know, the sky's the limit for MLW, and I'm excited to, uh, to, to, to be along for the ride on, on that. Yeah, that's a company that's definitely on the up. Um, and I think that, you know, signing that, with that deal with ICM partners, like that's, I'm very curious to see how that plays out, um, and where they end up, um, on television and streaming coming out of that. But yeah, there's like speaking to like you being the only queer person on the roster right now, like, yes, like to my knowledge, like you're, you're correct as well there, but there's no shortage of queer talent out there. Good, awesome queer talent that 
can be brought in to MLW and to other prominent companies. And even having just like being having getting that first person on that roster is uh, is a great first step to opening that door to like recognizing the queer talent is out there and being more accessible to the queer talent that is out there. Um, you know, I know, I want to say like, I know that uh, Pero in Florida worked uh, a couple, one or two shows with MLW in the past. So um, like they've definitely shown a tendency to be open to queer talent, but, but even then like there's this, you coming on to the, onto the team can be, is, that could serve as a jumping off point in a lot of ways. Well, I mean, I, I they're, they're, they are definitely open to queer talent. And I, I will say that Court Bauer has been like very uh, supportive of me. You know, in my press release, there was a whole quote from me about why it's important for me to uh, be in the position that I'm in. And he was very supportive of me writing that and saying that. Um, and, you know, he basically told me, he's like, anything you want to say about that, you know, anything you don't want to say, like you, you, say anything you want. Like, I want you to, uh, you know, he, I don't want to give it away too much, but he basically said the same thing. He said that like, I have the chance to reach a lot of wrestling fans that other people can't. And, um, and the fact that he is aware of that and he's open to something like that. That's another one of the reasons that like I jumped at signing with a company like MLW. Mm. It's good to have that kind of support from the top. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, we're winding down here. I guess I really only have one other other question for you before we get to all of your social media deets and, and all of this other fun stuff where people can catch you. Um, I guess that question would be, uh, real talk, how cool is Savio Vega? Oh, he's the coolest, dude. I was like... talking about that um, on the Shining Wizards podcast the other night. It is like, like I love Conan. Conan is so cool. K-Dog, NWO Red and Black, so cool. But Savio Vega, man, he was one of the stars of 1996. And you know how I feel about 1996. I'm like, right there with you. <laughs> those, like, Caribbean strap matches and, you know, forming the Los Bariquas in 97. The fact that he's there and he's, like, leading locker room meetings and he's also wrestling. And, you know, out of everyone on the roster, um, I, he's a bad guy. And I know he hates it when I say this, but Richard Holiday is such a good friend of mine. And he is someone that I've known – Basically, since the day I got into this business, he's the one that got me uh, working with Paul Roma up in New England. Uh, he's the one that got me on Evolve back in 2017. You know, Richard has been there for me, and he's he's there for me now as, like, another person that I can look to at MLW where it's like, oh, thank God Richard's here. Um, and, <laughs> you know, the fact that I can watch Richard Holiday have matches with Savio Vega, it's so cool to me. I introduced them. One of my good friends, this guy that I idolize. Are you kidding me? Like this, this is what life should be about for everyone. Everyone should have these kinds of moments. No, I completely agree. Like I think the knowing that you're that you're being able to be in the same locker room as as Savio Vega is bewildering to me. Like I still have an action figure from when he joined the Nation of Domination that I'm sure no, my but dog... his legs move all weird, dude. Oh, legs, that is terrible. All... The knees don't bend. Yeah. And it's all like, yeah. yeah. I'm glad that, that. God, I love, I love that you immediately went to that because that's always the first complaint with that thing. <laughs> yeah, because they like spin out. The Sultan had the same legs. Like I, there were a couple guys with those legs. Um, 
And, uh, yeah, and then when they made the Los Bariqua figure, it was just the same mold, but in blue and white. Ah, that was bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> they need a way more, way more attention to detail. I'm going to go out in, in Philadelphia. I'll be like, Savio, look, I know that you're trying to prepare for some kind of crazy match you're going to have tonight. But listen, how mad are you that, like, you couldn't play with your action figure? <laughs> and he's just gonna stare at me. Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, well mark thank you so much for coming on the show um before we get out of here though let everybody know where they can find you on social media and i know that you have a docket that is completely full i don't know if you can go through everything but maybe some of the highlights of where you're going to be in the next uh, month or so yeah i have bookings scheduled through november so i would not do that to you folks um (laughs) well first of all you guys uh are all y'all guys, gals, and non-binary pals, I, uh, I I grew up in the era of you guys, and I still have to work that out of my vernacular. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone can follow me at Mark A. Haggerty on Twitter and Instagram. You can check out my YouTube channel at uh, youtube.com slash Mark Adam Haggerty. That is the first six episodes of Locker Room Detectives for free. Um, there's also uh, my vlog on there, Mark Monday, as well as a whole bunch of other stuff that I do. Uh, in, in fact, the first ever wrestling company that I ever worked for, BBWF, since I'm the one that shot and edited everything for them, and then the owner of that company decided to out me before going to jail, I own all that footage, and it's all on my channel. So if you nice. guys, all of you folks, Jesus, Mark, if everyone <laughs> wants to go on there and see the earliest, earliest visions of Mark Adam Haggerty and the folks that I came up with, some people that you're going to recognize on there, like Tasha Steeles and Robbie E., a uh, lot, lot of people on there. Uh, Juan Francisco de Coronado, a lot of cool people. Um, maybe not that last one, given the whatever. Uh, but uh, check that out. That's my YouTube channel. Uh, really good stuff on there. And as far as where you can see me coming up, uh, primetime this weekend, I've got MLW on February 1st in Philadelphia. I've got MLW on uh, April 18th in Chicago. I've got MLW on May May 2nd in Dallas, and I've got MLW on July 16th at the Melrose Ballroom in New York City. I also want to say that I've got five confirmed dates for WrestleMania weekend so far in Tampa. If anyone's going to be down there, you can see me ring announcing for Uncanny Attractions. You can see me ring announcing at Effie's Big Gay Brunch. Yes. You can see me uh, emceeing the second annual Gay Young Classic, which is wrestlers and drag queens uh, lip syncing in a lip sync tournament. Last year, we saw Brody King get disqualified for swinging around a drag queen dildo. Uh, it's a great time. I'm also going to be doing commentary at Pizza Party Wrestling. And uh, I'm, I'm going to be at Primetime. Primetime Wrestling is doing a show down there, too. I'm going to be at that and other stuff, but I don't know what yet. Well, honestly, like that, that already sounds like a basket and a half. So I, I look forward. I think both me and our wonderful audience look forward to seeing you wherever you pop up. Um, and hopefully well, I'll, like, I'll say if. if Everyone listening to this show right now, yeah. if everyone listening to the show right now, if, if you are in Tampa and you do not go to Uncanny Attractions and Effie's Big Gay Brunch, you are doing yourself a disservice because those are both completely queer shows um, and it, it, they're, they're going to be 
outrageous and exciting and empowering and there's going to be incredible wrestling and I'm going to be on both of them. So I really encourage, come to all my shows, but those two, especially for your audience, they are two very important shows going on during WrestleMania weekend. Very much so. Mark, thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. You know, there was a definitely one thing on Adam's plate that I forgot to mention at the top of the show, and that is the fact that he's also a producer for the Kickin' Ass podcast hosted by Andy Williams and Pepper Parks, better known to most wrestling audiences as The Butcher and the Blade, uh, who show up periodically on All Elite Wrestling Dynamite on Wednesday nights. So, like... He said Adam is just all over the place. He has stuff all over his docket, and he's got his fingers in a lot of different pies, and which makes it even more awesome that he took the time out to come on this show. Um, and I immensely thank him once again. Uh, definitely follow all of his products uh, that he has going on right now. You know, his Twitter at Mark A Haggerty, his Instagram at Mark A Haggerty. Um, Follow the locker room detectives. You can follow at Locker Dicks. Like all of the, all of that social media is fun. He's a great follow. Um, it's fun to to watch and and just it's the best way to keep up with where he's going to be. And of course, definitely check out MLW uh, Fusion every Saturday night uh, on BN Sports. Um, they might be getting a, a different showing up on a different television network at some point, but for now it's going to be on BN, BN Sports. And we'll see what kind of heights both uh, Major League Wrestling and Adam, Mark Adam Haggerty can go to here in 2020. Um, but, of course, that's going to be it for our show this week. Um, but we're not going to let all of you lovelies out of here without showing some thanks to other people that help make this show possible. One of them, most notably, being Daniel Quasar, the designer of the Progress Pride flag that we use in our logo here at the show. The Progress Pride flag designed by Daniel Quasar is a product of Progress Initiative. You can find out more about that at quasar.digital. And then, of course, our theme song, Formula 666, by the prolific band Sarah in the Safe Word, who just dropped their latest single over on YouTube. I believe the song is called um, You're All Scotch, No Soda. Um, great video, great song. I was actually on set while they were shooting the video back in Atlanta, and it was fun to catch up with Sarah. Um, but definitely check out that on their YouTube channel uh, or and on their record labels, YouTube channel, Take This to Heart. Um, and, of course, you can find all of their music uh, either on their Spotify or on Bandcamp at sarahinthesafeword.bandcamp.com. Um, you can follow me at WonderboyOTM on Twitter. You can follow the show at LGBTRingPod on Twitter. And if you're into video games, of course, you can check out my uh, gaming news podcast uh, that I co-host every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific over on twitch.tv slash Entertainment. That show is called the Mr. Video Game Super Show. Um, it's always a lot of fun. Uh, and gets a little ruckus at times. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I think that's all the plugs for this week. Um, so, once again, thank you everyone for tuning in, and come back next week where we're going to have another fun guest, another fun key, and another fun week of pro wrestling. 
Until then, Six, six, six.